Thank you, Jordan. I heard that one of my former students was going to introduce me today. I was a little, just a little bit worried. <laughs> Not as worried as uh, some students that I've had go into police foundations, and most recently uh, I had a student go into police foundations and had to, they had to pass through a security check with several people, and I was one of those people, and the lady said to me on the phone, after several questions, about the middle somewhere of the interview, she said, how would you feel about this person carrying a pistol? Okay, how much of what I've just said are you going to tell them? <laughs> Before I actually answered that question, right? Uh, really interesting and fun to be involved with, uh, with students at Sussex Christian School and really delightful to see the things that God does in their lives and the things that they, the things that they do. And uh, so proud of Jordan and Tia, and we have uh, Ashley here and several others. I've got a couple out on internship, I think, that were, uh, have been part of Sussex Christian School. Marley's here maybe somewhere. I don't miss Marley. She's, she's gone, March break. I wondered, um, I wondered this morning if it was, this would be like a chapel service or a bit like a small group. Because I know like the, the, the Friday before a break like this, sometimes students have, sometimes, now not here, but other places, they can leak out under the doors. I always say to my staff on days like this, like, be careful they don't leak out of the building, because they do sometimes on days like this. So I'm just pleased that you're here, and I uh, hope you're excited about your break. Freedom is on the horizon, and uh, a few hours away, and uh, perhaps you've got plans to be traveling, and hope you will be safe as you travel and that God will protect you as you're home with family and friends. Well, I have a few things with me, my bottle of water. I have my, my bottle of Buckley's. I'm just gonna put that there. Sometimes, uh, I don't know, how many of you have ever had Buckley's? Okay, very good, so you understand. It's, it's power and it's strength. And uh, sometimes, you know, as a principal, it's important to just position yourself so that students just understand that you're in control. And so sometimes if, you know, I'm fighting a cold, you know, I put the bottle of Buckley's right out on the desk. And if a student comes to see me and I begin to cough, sometimes I drink it straight from the bottle. <laughs> and their eyes get big. They know I mean business. They go home and over supper they say, she drank it straight from the bottle. Couldn't believe it. She didn't even wince. You might wonder what the principal of Sussex Christian School has to say to you this morning, and it uh, might seem strange for some of you if, um, if we've not met before or not had a chance to talk before, but uh, maybe you thought I was going to give you a lecture. I can give a mean lecture, but that's not what I, I came here to do, because I'm kind of feeling pretty easygoing today, March breaks you know, on the horizon, and uh, I don't have anything I'm particularly upset about, so it's hard for me to work up a lecture right from scratch. You know, so I thought this morning that we would talk about humility. I was asked to speak about power, and it, when Elizabeth asked me to speak on that topic, what, and asked me, you know, what might come to mind, humility is what came to mind. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to hear John Dixon at a conference and he is a theologian and a historian who speaks to this topic. In fact, he's written a book on it. And I contemplated that idea for a long time and have for a long time and thought I might share some of those thoughts today. 
Humility is a difficult topic. Martin Luther said, true humility does not know that it is humble. If it did, it would be proud from the contemplation of so fine a virtue. Dixon highlights that humility has grown as an attribute in all areas of leadership in Western culture. As a direct result, he believes, from the example of Jesus Christ and the impact Christianity has had on our culture. In ministry situations sometimes, it may seem as though on one hand it's easy to keep humble, but in fact it can be quite difficult. Sometimes we'd like to wear buttons around or, or we'd like to put on Facebook or proclaim and in whatever way that we could, you know, how many, how many souls we've led to Christ. You know, how many hungry souls we've fed. Or maybe get the point across of how much the congregation has grown since we've come to be part of that congregation and to lead, or that school, in my case. The enemy of our souls is cunning, and pride can often creep in and rob God of his glory in any of our ministry-related actions. I'm not talking about this today because I'm under some delusion that I, perhaps, am the most humble person in the room. Only the Lord would know that. I do work with children, but that doesn't make me humble. My modest salary doesn't make me humble. The fact that I got my start from middle-class people doesn't make me humble. Spiritually speaking, humility is an attitude, a position of the heart, a deep Holy Spirit understanding of the sovereignty of God. Humility is a very admirable attribute. It's a way of life, or should be the way of life for every Christian. And as has just been read from Philippians in context, we'll look specifically at Philippians 2.3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Humility, if we can define it this way, is the noble choice to forgo your status, deploy your resources, and use your influence for the good of others before yourself. A good leader needs four tools. Ability, authority, persuasion, and example. And if those things aren't in balance, things can, can run amok a little bit. I've always found when I needed to remind people of my authority this way that it never goes well. Like when I have to say, well, you know, I am the principal. It's like if you have to say it out loud, it kind of loses its, you know, when you put it out there. When you, when you, because when you're at that point, somehow you're down at the bottom of things. So authority isn't, isn't necessarily enough, or ability isn't necessarily enough. And we know that leadership in our 21st century culture is fundamentally relational. And we need to lead by example, and we need to be able to persuade people. True influential leaders practice humility, inspiring a team towards a common goal. If we could just quiet our hearts this morning, I'd like to read to you the words of Andrew Murray about humility. Humility is perfect quietness of heart. It is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, or to feel nothing about anything done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me, and when I am blamed or despised. 
It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret and am at peace in a deep sea of calmness when all around me above is trouble. Jesus himself spoke and illustrated humility many times in the New Testament. The Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 10 records Jesus' telling of the story of the Good Samaritan, which we're so familiar with. And of course, when is asked, who is your neighbor, Jesus tells the story of the three men. And of course, the one who stops and brings healing to the situation is the neighbor. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Value others above yourself and serve them. And it's really powerful how this biblical truth and this example from the scriptures that we see all through the scriptures about humility, how it impacts our culture. Peter Drucker is a well-known writer in the business world, and I was introduced to his work a few years ago. And in the pages of The Effective Executive is this antidote. A new hospital administrator holding his first staff meeting thought that a rather difficult matter had been settled to everyone's satisfaction. When one of the participants suddenly asked, would this have satisfied Nurse Brian? At once, the argument started all over again and did not subside until a new and more ambitious solution to the problem had been hammered out. Nurse Brian, the administrator learned, had been a long-serving nurse at that hospital. She was not particularly distinguished, had not, in fact, ever been a supervisor. But whenever a decision on patient care came up on her floor, Nurse Brian would ask, are we doing the best to help the patient? Patients on Nurse Brian's floor did better, recovered faster. Gradually over the years, the whole hospital had learned to adopt what came to be known as Nurse Brian's rule. They had learned, in other words, to ask, are we really making the best contribution? In essence, are we putting others ahead of ourselves? Are we, are we investing in others? Are we invested in the purpose of others? Are we really making the best contribution to represent that we indeed are children of the King? I get reading Ephesians 4 too, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And I thought, this is the verse that should be over the door of all the dormitories. Be patient with each other in love. You know, because all of these things that we talk about and as we discuss humility this morning, uh, the practicality of living it out in our daily lives can be difficult. And we do need the help of the Holy Spirit. Humility is the entire account of the gospel. I love that there's communion this morning and we're going to be remembering the sacrifice of Christ. But humility is, is summed up in the entire account of the gospel. Mark 10.45 says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' journey to earth has been misunderstood from most people from start to finish. He was to be a king of men's hearts versus a government king, born in the lowest fashion possible. In a stable, with a manger and swaddling clothes. That was how he entered. His father, a carpenter, a blue-collar worker. 
The message of the gospel is love. But the vehicle it's delivered to us in is humility. The power of that vehicle rings out some 2,000 years later. And we're going to remember it this morning. Psalm 139.4, the psalmist said, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Couldn't you have written a better version of this story? Shouldn't Jesus have been born in a palace? Shouldn't he have been born to scholars or a priest? Born of a young Jewish virgin, virgin who was betrothed to a carpenter? People would think of baby Jesus as a, with a child with blemish, conceived before Joseph and Mary were even married. I know sometimes I feel like I could have written a better story. Wouldn't there be something more fitting for the Son of God? He would lead men by healing their wounds, calming their storms, and washing their feet. The narrative of Jesus is told with everything backwards for the time, especially in ancient culture, where in, in, in ancient culture, in ancient history, when, when leaders were so prone to boast, leaders and common people so, so prone to boast of their own accomplishments. And here comes Jesus, king of the Jews, born in a stable, and would die the death of a criminal. Why do I talk about this today? I know how easily knowledge can puff up, as the scriptures say. I know how comfortable it is to get to thinking we ought to get the credit. We can even start to think of the ministry as a ladder that we're climbing, like people do in a corporate situation or in a corporate world. How big is my church? How big is my youth group? How big is my school? How casual we can be to take the recognition. How simple it seems sometimes to cut corners to get ahead. If the enemy can keep us in that place and hold us in that place, where any of these things might be true, then our ministry is futile. And it's of ourselves and of our own flesh and not of God. Humility is applied power to every situation. You don't get a bunch of teachers together very long until they say, okay, but what does it look like? You know, teachers, uh, to become a teacher, you take a lot of teaching theory, and, and uh, it's powerful and helps you shape things in the classroom, but teachers always want to know, okay, but what does it look like? How do we, how do we get it to, to work in the classroom with the children? You know, that's always, that's always fundamental. I think, this is, I think this is some good advice. Humility means we, we hold to our convictions, but we keep a soft heart for those, one, those who have different convictions. Mother Teresa spoke these words about humility, gave this advice, to speak as little as possible of oneself, to mind one's own business, not wanting to manage other people's affairs, to accept contradictions and correction cheerfully. We always accept contradictions and corrections cheerfully, don't we? I find the students who are getting correction in my office are just chipper about it. <laughs> to pass over the mistakes of others. Sometimes I'm called to do that, as we all are. To accept insults and injuries. To accept being slighted, forgotten, and disliked. 
John Dickinson himself is, Dickinson is often asked to cultivate, how do you cultivate humility? And here was some advice that he gave. Number one, we're shaped by what we love. We were shaped by what we loved. Just come through the Oscar season. You know, all these awards given from Hollywood about uh, the movie season this last year. Is that what we admire? What do we admire? What we admire will we'll work to recreate in our own lives. Number two, reflect on the lives of the humble. You know, what are, what are we reading? Who are we spending time with? What do we emulate? Number three, conduct thought experiments to enhance humility. I thought this was interesting. Not that we necessarily want to fake humility, but how can we train ourselves to act in ways that would be more humble and to ask the Holy Spirit to enter our lives at this level? To simply act humbly. And number five, to invite criticism. I thought that was fascinating because we love to be protected from criticism or correction or anything that might you know, look like it was trying to, to shape us in some, in some way. I had a mentor of mine once tell me, I learned life's most, I learned life's best lessons by the most difficult teachers. Not meaning teachers in the school sense, but in things that come along our way that are difficult. Those are the things that shape, that shape us. I wanted to mention to you uh, a speaker that I heard a little bit ago Jaya Jang, J-I-A-J-A-N-J, has written a book called Rejection Proof. This man, was so fascinating to hear him, he lost his job, and he lost his confidence as a result. And so he put himself through something called rejection therapy. And he made a list of 100 things, crazy things, nutty things, that he would do that he would absolutely be rejected in each one of them. And by the time he was done the 100th, he felt like he could probably handle the worst rejection out there. These were some of the things, they're some of my favorites. He would go into a fast food restaurant and request a burger refill. He wanted to speak over Costco's intercom system. He wanted to send stuff to Santa Claus via FedEx. He wanted to get his hair trimmed at PetSmart. He wanted to sit in, the, in a police car's driver's seat, and the list goes on. Imagine setting yourself up for failure. He, do, he puts his clients through something called rejection gym, where you just muscle up to the rejection. I thought it was such an interesting concept because it is counterintuitive to how we, how we operate. We tend to protect ourselves from these kinds of things. It was interesting to hear him speak because he said that one of the things that surprised him the most was how many of the things he was actually able to do. Like, the things that he was sure were going to be rejection, very few of them actually were, and people were trying to help him do all, the, all these things, and he said, if it didn't help him with the rejection, it, it regained his faith in humanity and how they helped him. And the last one that Dixon mentions is to forget about being humble. We need to get this off our mind to actually achieve it. We can never get the humilitous degree, or else we'd lose it. The minute you know we hang it on the wall saying, I've achieved humility, then we lose it. So it is a little ambiguous in our lives and really something between us and the Lord, but I think it's, there's, there's such a model in Scripture, putting others before ourselves. You know, it was interesting 
a year and a half ago, I was uh, writing my comprehensive exam for my dissertation. I was doing a course, and at the end of the course, I would be uh, writing the, the comprehensive exam, and I was very nervous, and, and, and I went on this trip down to Lynchburg to, to do all the things that I needed to do. And, and I really felt overwhelmed, and when I got there, you know, I felt more overwhelmed. And uh, my husband was not able to go with me on that trip, and so, uh, like a big grown-up person, I thought I better take my mom along. And she went with me on the trip, and she helped me uh, bear the stress. And I would say, you know, encouraging things like, I don't know if we're going to get out of here alive. And she's like, it's okay. It's going to be fine. The Lord knows. And it would calm me down. It was good. You know, the morning of my comprehensive exam, we had about two hours to study, and my colleagues and I, who were staying at the same hotel, we were at the, uh, in the breakfast area, with our books piled everywhere, just obnoxiously, right? And we've got notes, and we're, like, we're cramming for this exam, like it's an exam you could really cram for, which really wasn't the case, but it felt like we were doing something. You know, we're passing books back and forth. Is this important? Is that important? We're highlighting things, and we're talking about what it was that we were going to be doing within a few moments in writing that exam. And the lady who was running the breakfast area was trying to clean up around us and do her job, and she stopped right at my table, and she looked down at me, and she said, are you the girl from Canada? I was just happy that she called me girl. That was the first thing. And I said, yeah, yeah. Well, she said, I've gotten to know your mom this week. What a great lady. See, all the while I was studying about leadership and all the things that I needed to infiltrate into my brain to put out on this comprehensive exam, my mom had gotten to know the ladies who cleaned our room. Now, she didn't let them clean it very often, but she'd gotten to know them. She knew their names. She knew the lady who cleaned up at the breakfast area. Like, she knew more, like, traveling home, she's telling me more about her than, like, I'd know about some people. Like, she knew about her. She knew the lady at the front desk. And in that moment, when that lady spoke to me and said that to me, it was a really surreal moment that I felt God was just speaking right into my life. That, that, was so, that influence was so much more powerful than all those books sitting in front of me. And although that was important, and although I was called to be there to do that job, that I must never forget to put the needs of others ahead of my own. That I must never forget that I'm never too important to know the lady who cleans up the breakfast area. That I am never too important to know the ladies that clean up the room. And it just, it spoke to me in such a powerful way that I have just carried that with me, that, that really, that word from the Lord, that, I, that I, I wanted to share that with you this morning. Working as a Christian school principal, it's a great privilege for me. It's more of a privilege all the time. When I first started, I hid under my desk, literally, a lot. And you, there's a few people here who might actually know that that's true. But the, 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 the longer I do it, the more the grace the Lord gives me. And I, I, it's a great privilege. And one thing that I get to see up close every day is the humility of godly teachers who, without a lot of recognition or credit or money, put their students before them, themselves, serving the, our children and serving their families. comes with great reward, though. 
to see kids being nurtured to follow Christ. Being followers of Christ is to follow in this rich tradition, steeped in humility. Perhaps a backwards way of seeing the world, but a backwards walk from the pride of sin. As the Apostle Paul said, live with the attitude of Jesus Christ in your hearts. Thank you.